won't listen, especially if you're in Chicago, the cops ain't listening. So, ladies and gents, hello, welcome to this evening's program. It is you and I, and only you and I, and a beautifully packed, I have to say, beautifully packed, orange mint hookah. So it's a Saturday night, and I hope that you're feeling well. I am. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. It was a nice day. Um, busy. Started early, and is nonstop. And who knows where it all goes? But I know a couple of things that we're going to do tonight. We're going to be learning about. Uh, oh, well, I'm just going to open up the lines, and whatever comes through comes through. Hopefully, it's good. It's on you to not waste people's time. Um, I will try to help you through the best I can, but just remember, just remember, you need to be entertaining. So that's if you're just calling in with whatever the hell you want to say, which is always fine with me. What we do have on Saturday night on tap for a main theme is the night shift. Tales from the night shift. Tell me something. Have you ever had a paranormal unexplained, some kind of weird happening that left you with questions for the rest of your life experienced during the third shift, the graveyard shift, overnight, especially if you were all alone. Are you a custodian? Are you a security guard? A nurse? Police officer? Paramedic? I don't care. I want to know all about it. A prison guard? Oh, boy. My gosh. This tastes like a cupcake. This is so good. All right. Well, I um, we had a great week, and why not have a great weekend? And I'm hopefully we'll be able to give you a little bit of assistance with that one. So welcome aboard, and please give me your undivided attention in chilling. That's all I want. I just want people to chill. Thank you, misfits. You gave me what I needed, an intro. So I see people are hanging out on Theta. On DLive, on Twitch, on YouTube, on quitefrankly.tv. That is the heart of it all, ladies and gentlemen. You should get acquainted with it because if there's ever a time that I'm ripped off air on one place or another, you never have to worry about, oh, well, I guess Frank, I guess Frank went to Tahiti for a week. Doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I don't take nights off. That's, that's my problem. Every once in a while, I say, Frank, you need this or you're going to turn into a gremlin. Okay, fine. But um, but there you have it. It's Saturday. It's April 22nd, 2023. It is 9.31 p.m. Early as usual, which means on time as usual. Hello to Rumble as well, and hello to Rockfin. So um, you know what the theme is? I have a couple other things I would love to do. I have some, I have some emails that came in I think you guys would be interested in. Just th- some thoughts from some of the more compelling topics that we were discussing throughout this week. i got a couple of things to start us off with as well. But uh, the phone lines will be on. It is. The phone number is 914-595-6953. 914-595-6953. 
You can write that down on your your post-it your post-it pad, which everybody keeps by their side. Just remember. All right, the first one up is the first one up is from the Daily Mail. Boom. Headline: Hate the smell of body odor. That's right. Hate the smell of BO. You might be xenophobic. There's a bizarre study that finds people who are sensitive to disgusting smells are more likely to have negative attitudes toward migrants. <laughs> what would Why would that be? What is that? Why is that? Disgust at the smell of feces, sweat, urine may be linked to xenophobia. This is a very very racist article, and I'm going to keep reading it. Scientists claim that steering clear of disgusting smells is a natural mechanism. But when that works into overdrive, it could trigger hostility toward refugees. <laughs> keep going. Go ahead. Go ahead, Daily Mail. You just keep doing your thing. Bizarre new research claims that people with sensitive nose for disgusting smells are more likely to be xenophobic. In a study across nine countries, scientists have linked to repulsion to sweat, bad breath, and smelly feet. Uh, with heightened disliking for refugees. Hmm. Steering clear of stenches is a natural mechanism that helps us avoid illness, experts say, at uh, the Karolinska Institute of Stockholm. But when working into overdrive, this may trigger hostility toward refugees who they suggest can be perceived as having dissimilar hygiene and food habits. Perceived? Now, isn't this what all of our great liberal friends always tell us about why we should, we should flood our respective countries with with uh, foreigners because they they come bringing uh, new new foods? They're they're all going to open up restaurants, eighteen Ethiopian restaurants in town. Well, we need it. We never had Ethiopian before. But, but, but uh, individuals may be more easily disgusted by body odors, are more prone to having negative attitudes toward refugees, scientists wrote. As in previous work prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, this relationship was partially explained by the perceived dissimilarity of the outgroup and norms relating to basic practices such as food preparation and hygiene. Let's be honest, there are plenty, plenty of native-born people here who smell like shit. All right, so just need to balance the equation out a little bit. Nearly 7,000 participants took part in the study. Do you smell like shit right now? I want you to call in. Call in at some point tonight. Tell me why you smell so bad and why haven't you showered in probably days. Oh, boy. It's pulling nice, but I gotta take a coal off of this. Just give me a second. Give me a quick second. We'll give me, we'll get back to this the stinky refugees. You know, being able to treat a, a hookah. I know we're talking about other people's cultures here. It takes grace. Yes, it does. It takes grace. And I'm uh, welcoming you all here. The, the coffee is hot. The hookah is sweet. Thank you so much for being here. All right, let's keep going with this just for another second because I think we get the point. Nearly 7,000 participants took part in the study which examined opinions across the UK, New Zealand, Canada, Nigeria, Kenya, 
Hong Kong, Chile, Italy, and Sweden. When assessing body odor sensitivity, participants were asked to rank uh, scents scent on a one to five scale of perceived disgustingness. Human, sm- uh, human smells like sweat, urine, feet, gas, breath, upper body sweat, and feces were included in the survey. What do you, what do you feel when you smell shit? Very few of you out there who get turned on by that. I don't want you to call in. These were incorporated into different scenarios, such as you are alone at home and notice that your feet smell strongly, and you're sitting next to and notice that their feet smell strongly somebody else. Oh, okay. Well, everybody knows that when you are home alone and you smell something terrible coming off of you, then you will, um, at a morbid fascination, just kind of bask it and go like, God, this is disgusting. I'll take a shower in a little while. But if you're next to somebody else, it is, is, how dare you? How dare you even sit on the couch? So it's not even just, I guess you could be xenophobic if your house is your castle. Anybody that comes in is a foreigner. A fictional scenario was then used to assess attitudes toward a fictional group known as Drashian, Drashian refugees from the, the, the fake country of Drashia. Researchers pose a situation in which the Drashian group from Eastern Africa, very racist, or Eastern Europe, had been experiencing a great deal of civil unrest in the recent years. They explain that as a result of these conditions, many people from this country are trying to leave. A large number of these refugees are seeking to immigrate to your country. Participants then answered numerous questions about the group, taking into account food, hygiene, and sanitary practices. One question asked, how much they agree that Drashians could bring health-related problems into the country while another looked at the potential criminality. The results reveal that the participants who scored highly for sensitivity to disgusting smells were more likely to have negative attitudes toward migrants. Oh boy. We just cannot shake this racism from us. Whatever we do. Experts claim that their results support a... You know dogs and cats don't like your smells either? They think that you're disgusting. Like, what the hell? Whatever. They feed me. Whatever. I'll put up with it. So this is just something we all uh, experience. So I, I guess here's, here's the thing. What's the solution here? Do we have to unlearn what has been, you know, what is an innate, innate part of us? Do we have to unlearn that to be more accepting to the, the tidal wave of foreigners that they obviously want to continue to, to pour into one country or another? I don't know, but probably. All right, so you can bring up anything like that. That's another reason why I don't, I'm very uh, reticent about going onto planes. And I'm always, whenever I have to go onto a plane, I'm just crossing my fingers, please, please let the people around me have, uh, please let them have taken a shower, please. Some people don't um, shower out of religious observance, which I think is uh, an offense to God. I think it's an offense to God. Let's see here. The Western Journal. You hear about this? Anheuser-Busch makes major shakeup at Bud Light. It's bad news for VP behind the Mulvaney campaign. After three weeks of bruising controversy over working with a transgender influencer, Anheuser-Busch is making some changes. 
Alyssa Heinerscheid, the marketing vice president who led the charge for new marketing strategy for Bud Light, is now on a leave of absence, according to Ad Age. Heinerscheid, or Scheid, who took over last June, will be replaced by Todd Allen. Sounds very white. This is very, very patriarchal who had been Budweiser's global marketing vice president. Budweiser has been reeling ever since its partnership with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney became public. From furious country music stars to customers actively boycotting Bud Light, the brand has taken a beating. So that's it. They're calling the uh, removal, or or, uh, Matt Walsh is calling the removal, a win for team sanity. Heinerscheid, became a lightning rod for anger due to the comments from a March interview interview in which she had declared her commitment to make changes by criticizing, criticizing the past, according to the UK Daily Mail. Bud Light, she said, has been kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out-of-touch humor, and it was really important that we had another approach, which is actually an admission that she is out of touch with reality. And, um, and yeah... Now, I, I, I know that they have lost billions of dollars in the last couple of weeks, and it's been great to see. And, and, I, and I always hope that these, these types of demonstrating on how you can really make impacts with your dollars, I always hope that they go past the finish line. We talked about BlackRock, and we talked about the kind of money that are behind these ESG, quote-unquote, woke initiatives, these, um, you know, these, these debasing... Uh, kind of disillusion of reality initiatives so uh, who knows what what comes out how they come out the other end of this and and bring it all back and everybody's appeased in some way i wish they wouldn't i wish they wouldn't be appeased first of all bud light sucks and i don't even drink beer it does suck so there's that but you know some people are just they love it now on to gambling from from liquor to gambling did you hear about this we have some NFL players that were suspended for at least the next year because they were betting through these apps. Jameson Williams along four Lions plus the Washington defensive end suspended for betting. Four Lions players, including 2022 first-round pick Jameson Williams, were among five players league-wide to be suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy after an investigation by the league. Lions wide receiver Quintez Cephas and safety C.J. Moore have been suspended indefinitely for betting on NFL games, as was Washington Commander's defense, uh, defensive end Shaka Tony. They can reapply for reinstatement after one year, although Detroit announced that its two players have been released. Second-year wide receivers Williams and Stanley Berryhill are being suspended for six games each for mobile betting that occurred at the Lions Allen Park facility. Uh, these two did not bet on NFL games, the team said. So if they if they if they betted in the parking lot, would they have not been suspended for six games? Now I don't understand I don't understand this here because there's a lot of hypocrisy. I understand maybe like for, for players it's look but don't touch. Anybody that's actually affecting the outcome or could be visibly related to the outcome of any kind of a game with all of the uh, the suspicion that games are fixed or rigged or people are on the take and uh, taking the you know pretty much taking the fall there's always people thinking about that and there's always things to to really bolster those theories 
So I don't know if it's just about having people on the field not touching this stuff. But you know, the easy thing that any of them could have done was just gotten some of their friends and family to bet for them. That could have been the easiest thing. And anybody who's, if you are, if you're signing on to these applications like, uh, what, what, DraftKings and, and the, I don't know, there's so many of them now. And the NFL, there's always advertising in between the, uh, in between commercial breaks and all that stuff. So it is uh, out in the open. Uh, everybody's making a lot of money. They don't deny that people are betting constantly on this stuff. But uh, they just don't want these these people doing it. So it's, I don't, um, yeah. yeah. The NFL noted in its announcement that it uncovered no evidence indicating any inside information that was used or that any game was compromised by the players betting. That's really what it's all about. It's about, um, it's about appearances. But, you know, just get one of your friends to bet for you. Pretty sure everybody's doing it. All right, and... Um, and one last thing. Here you go from Yahoo News. Jamie Green writes, have aliens evolved into intelligent machines? This came from the Daily Beast, so you know it's good. If alien life is out there, what do you think it's like? I was surprised how often that question led astronomers and astrobiologists to talk about machines. Not the machines aliens might use or the machines with which we might find them, but the idea that the aliens would be machines themselves. Well, this is a very old theory, that the alien greys actually are advanced AI scouts, or not only scouts, because further to support that theory is that if you're going to be traversing the galaxy or through dimensions, whether it be wormholes and everything else, a biological... You know, an organism like us, flesh and bone, uh, would have a hard time, uh, hard time traveling that way. Either there would be some kind of molecular harm to us, or some kind of an aging problem. You know, like with in- interstellar and stuff like that. There's the it throws off aging in all different types of ways. Well, that is the uh, the basis for a, a long time theory that the that the Greys are actually artificial intelligence that they are in ways they could be scouts or they could be the remnants of an extinct of an extinct civilization that sent these things out into the universe to do their bidding and now have just uh, they got nothing to do and they're just doing their own I don't know maybe they're still on their mission Caleb Scharf head of government of Columbia University's astrobiology program told me, quote, I wonder whether biological intelligence is a fleeting thing and it transforms into something else that we would call machine intelligence, he acknowledged. Well, that's what they're trying to do here on Earth. I mean, that's quite a leap, but if you look at the grander scope of things, it makes more sense to imagine machine intelligence lasting for millions of years. That's another theory, that these types of AI-based extraterrestrials are actually us from the future. Or created by us in the future. Or it could just be us. Seth Shostak, a senior astronomer at SETI, told me that he thinks imagining that intelligent aliens would be like us is wrong in two ways. First, it's self-centered, and second, quote, I think that it really misses the point, mainly because if you think about it, the most important thing we're doing this century is inventing our successors. He thinks that most of the intelligence in the universe, abundant as it may be, is likely synthetic. 
If you're going to stay, say the aliens are what we will become, then the aliens are machines. You hear that? If the aliens are what we will become, then the aliens are machines because we are going to become machines. In 1981 interview, Kardashev himself said that he thought humanity might transition to electronic or silicon, uh, life a hundred years in the future, and every so often he thought we would trade in our bodies for a new model. It seems that electronic life is better. It certainly is better for traversing the stars, that much is true. Sharp pointed out that biology is just too vulnerable to interstellar radiation, as well as the long time scales that time scales that are needed for travel. But he didn't think that the machine era was inevitable for humanity or for anyone else who might be out there. It was just one potential path uh, path life could follow. Shostak thought uh, Shostak though takes it as a given that this is the future for both humanity and intelligent aliens, and he's not alone. Well, that might be news to some people. That might be news to some people. But we've talked about that a long time. So what's Yahoo and Daily Beast just want to... Remember, the Daily Beast, these are the people who tell you that... Oh, oh gosh, the, uh, the absolutely confirmed tunnels where all the satanic rituals were happening under the McMartin School, those didn't exist, even though there's confirmation that they did exist. Confirmation came out in the FBI vault tweets a couple of years ago, too. It was attached to the uh, the Finders Cult stuff. But um, that's all bullshit. This, on the other hand, anything that furthers along the idea that we are going to be, we are going to become the aliens. That is interesting. Food for thought. All righty. So here's what we're going to do now. I'm going to open up the lines. 914-595-6953. 914-595-6953. And I would like to start dabbling with with your thoughts. We'll get into the main topic after the 10 o'clock hour arrives. That's in like 10 minutes from now. So the lines are open. We'll take some of your calls. And I'm also going to read some emails that came in. These are just random. Here's a little something for you. This is from... This is from Micah. And it's about the blue checks from this past week. She said, Frank, your comments last night about people being so intent on the blue check mark for Twitter jogged my memory about a social experiment and our high school sociology teacher performed on us in class one day. He started the class by asking uh, review questions and handed out stickers for correct answers. Only what we didn't realize initially was that he only handed out the stickers to one side of the classroom. Even after it became obvious that he was only rewarding one side of the class, the other side still intently raised their hand and tried to get a sticker. In fact, some people became visibly exasperated and yet still kept trying to answer questions for the stickers. While I don't think the blue check is actually a big social experiment, though it wouldn't uh, wouldn't surprise me if it was, I do think the importance some people put on such an insignificant status or a symbol of status is a very interesting observation. And I hope that was an interesting enough story to follow up last night's show. Thank you so much, Micah. I think it is. Uh, Like I said, at the very least, it's just we're looking into the Petri dish again and seeing how people are responding to one stimulus or another. And it's it's ridiculous. To the people who had the blue checks before, and we know that it it was being, everybody's like, oh, I'm not going to pay $10 for this. Most of the people who were buying those blue checks were paying over $10,000. Some celebrities are just, they're going to get them. 
heads of state, they're going to get them, things like that. But, you know, for as long as they were rolled out, they started verifying people many, many, many years ago. Many years ago, before Twitter was really influencing elections the way it does now. And um, so there was always a, a market for that. There always was. But beyond the fact that there, there, was, there was always people willing to pay top dollar for it and now feel like they've been rooked out of well-spent uh, money, it has become a tiara. It's the blue check mark is a tiara. Bette Midler and everybody else, they liked having their little princely check on their head. They liked their little princess crown. They, that's, that's just what it was. So it's totally should be observed from a sociological standpoint. It's incredible. It really is. I jump back onto Twitter Blue today because we're, we're starting to wind down a lot of our ideas for the branding, and now we're going to get back into making highlights, and I, I need that upload speed or upload length. 914-595-6953. Here's, la- uh, here's another one. This one is about... This one is about the night that we were on with Dr. Dr. Albert Taylor. And this one is from Hobbled Homesteader. She writes the following. She said, Frank, I was blown away by last night's program. That's Thursday's program. I've never talked about what I experienced for years and then only spoke to my husband about it. I was afraid someone would think that I was nuts or possessed. About 30 years ago, I began experiencing sleep paralysis. I had no idea what it was and it, was, and I, it scared me to death. I'm a nurse and for the life of me, I could not figure out any physical reason this should be happening. Mine happened only if I slept during the day. All I wanted to do is fight my way out of the state, and at times it took a very long time. About this same time, I had my first remote viewing episode. Or maybe an out-of-body experience or lucid dream. I don't know. It's all those, those three. We, we got distinction between all that. Anyway, she continues. Again, I had not a name for what I experienced and spoke of it to no one. It was a powerful experience. Since then, it's happened to me several times. I also have lucid dreams that he spoke of, and again, I had no idea what it was until he put a name to it. It was fascinating to me that he connected all these things. I had never met anyone that had experienced sleep paralysis like I had said and spoke of it to no, none of it. Happened to be at a social gathering, and a perfect stranger came up to me, introduced himself, and said, You know what sleep paralysis is, don't you? This was the very first time I'd overheard that name put to it. I was astounded. I said, I've never had a name put to it, but yes, I, uh, how did you know? He never explained to me how he knew. How friggin' weird is that? I just wanted to share. Totally, totally exciting to me to see all those experiences brought together. Um, love seeing Dr. Taylor come back and explain how he actually was able to get sleep paralysis to happen at will. Thanks for the great episode, Hobbled Homesteader. He will come back, and we are going to talk about how-tos and things like that. Let's take a go. Uh, let's take at least one call before the end of this uh, short hour. Norwood, good to have you back. What's going on, buddy? Hey, good life, Frank. Good life. <clears throat> I, I've had oh wait, Norwood, had Norwood. Had Norwood b- before right. before you before you go any further, are you on speakerphone? Because you sound a mile away. Yeah, but my phone is. Uh, is that better? A lot better. Okay. Yeah, just stay closer. Go ahead. Yeah, I've, I've had the sleep paralysis thing since I was, shoot, five, six years old, which is interesting. And the last time your guest was on, it was really helpful for me <clears throat> to kind of uh, work through that. But 
one of the things that, that, that happened with me, and this is something that, that would be interesting with Aurora, my granddaughter came to me and she said, um, Paul, Paul, a monster was attacking me in my dream last night. Jeez. And I, and I just told her, hey, 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 babe, next time it happens, call me and I'll take care of it. The next day she said, Paul, Paul, the monster came and I called you and you beat him up. Nice. So this, this kid, she was nine years old at that time. So it's, it's something about, you know, when they're at that age, lucid dreaming is just something that, that's kind of natural for them and a matter of fact for them. Yeah. And just simply engaging her and talking to her about it, you know, just in a, in a, in a casual and matter of fact way, <clears throat> it allowed her to just enter into that type of realm. And just, just the last thing, Probably in the uh, in the late late 80s, I had a dream. I was in this hallway, and uh, both sides the hallway was lined with doors all the way down. The next day when I woke up, it, you know, it changed. It, I, I got a message, and it said, "If you choose the door that you want, you can see the future." And that's when I started my exercises in lucid dreaming and controlling myself in the dreams. It's it, it's quite fascinating, man. Tell me like about tell me shows, uh, wait 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 tell me about some of your um your experiments though like what 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 were you able to do? Well, when I when I um I never got to the point to where I could actually walk to the door and open the door. I got to the point to where I realized that I was dreaming, and I started trying to work work on that part of of actually going to the doors, but I could never actually grab the handle and open the door. But wait, Norwood, are, are, are you, when, so, okay, so the lucid dreaming means that you are in control of your dream, you're in your mind, and you're doing whatever you want. There's no randomness to your dream. You're able to experience anything you want, but you haven't left your body. If you're talking about trying to walk through doors, that means, are you talking about you are actually separated from the body? That's the OBE. No, 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 this, this is in, within the dream. Okay, all right. Within within the dream, the, the the message because that that whole that line that hallway with the doors in it, the message was if you can pick the door and you open the door, you can see the future. So that was the exercise that I went through when I when I went to the dream state and I was aware that I was dreaming. I started practicing going going to the doors and opening the doors. Interesting, interesting. Did you do a lot? Of, see now, if I had a lucid dream. And and every there were there were times in my life where I knew I, I it became lucid, but it was not because of any. Maybe I looked at my hands. It hasn't happened in a long time, Norwood. But usually that's when I would start flying. But again, I would only be flying about six inches off the ground. They were always very frustrating. I wanted to just cast off, and I would just be like, I'd be like, I might as well just walk. I, I can see the the carpet is like a half a foot beneath me, and um, it sucked. That's that's interesting because I, I I I always fly in the clouds. Mm, I, I, so I would love that. that. It's only six inches. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a very unimp and, unimpressive height. Well, and and you know it it's really kind of an indication of of, of where you are kind of psychologically and kind of spiritually. <clears throat> Actually, continuing to have those because I haven't had a flying dream. Man, it, it's probably been decades. Since I've had a flying dream, hmm. and they, they've all been more, I guess, more, more, more realistic. Uh, realistic in terms of the things that are the activities that are actually happening. 
And that's that's another exercise that I've been trying to do because you know you mentioned the uh, we mentioned you mentioned the tones, the musical tones, and I use uh, I use the brass bowl tones, and those brass bowl tones combined with um, the brass bowl tones combined combined with with hold on a second with um, the uh, Wim Hof breathing exercises. That get, that put my mind in some serious. It, it was it's all I, I would equate it to an out of body, hmm. but just using those and then the Wim Hof, you know, the Wim Hof exercises where you where you breathe quickly and then you hold your breath and then you exhale. It's really interesting what 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 happens when that when that occurs. Uh, it is interesting. It is, and uh, and I I I've, I do uh, Wim Hof. I'm still I still do the be, the beginner breathing and all that stuff. When Rob comes back, maybe we can do one of those those uh, we can bring that up a little bit more because of course he's been he's been doing Wim Hof and stuff like that for years and I mean I, God knows what he he's gotten up to but uh, he's also had some pretty intense um, psychedelic and out of body experiences as well. So I, th- this is something that is always going to come back on this show and I love it. Thanks for the call, Norwood. Hey, thanks a lot, Frank. Be well. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. The first half hour is over. When we come back, we're going to open up this uh, this thread we have over here. And your calls, just like Wood Norwood, call in with whatever. If you're on topic, it's fine. I have enough to float myself over here. Um, float uh, with you with what you guys have a- entered into the thread on quitefrankly.tv on the forum. But other than that, don't go anywhere. I want to hear from everybody. This guy has to be the king of edging. I've never seen someone paint a wall this perfectly around an electrical socket. Like I have to put tape down and all these other things in order to edge this perfectly. But one thing you didn't know is I've been edging this whole video. Like, um, let's say you're driving along the road with your family and you're driving along la la and then all of a sudden there's a truck tire in the middle of the road and you hit the brakes. That was close. <laughs> See what happens when you're driving with the other guy's brake pads. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from back seat.
Let it all. Let it all be Saturday nights. Yes. All right. So here's what we got. Here's what we got. Just so you know. Oh, and let me just put something else out there before we get into the 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 the, the night shift. The night shift thread. I had another. I'm working on getting a little bit more on this story. But listen to this story that I got from a Karen. She was really um, she was really inspired to write in from the the Dr. Albert Taylor episode as well. And she said this. She said, Frank. Here are there are a few times that I traveled in my dreams, and the people I had seen and talked to in my dreams actually saw me. I said, "Where's this going?" She said, "I stopped having night terrors after I died." Now, that implies a near-death experience, and I need to—I I have not gotten any information on the NDE yet, but I will. And she said, "The first one, first time I was at school in Lansing, Michigan, about 83 miles from my hometown of uh, Westland." I took a nap, and in my dream, I flew to my neighborhood that I grew up in. I heard someone say, hey, Karen, what are you doing here? I told him I was just wandering around. A few days later, when I talked to my brother on the phone, he told me that Timmy, the guy that she had seen in the dream, ran into, uh, ran into her by the little store that she was at in her dream. Then a few years later, I was home in Westland, and, I and my sister was in Kalamazoo, about 120 miles from home. I dreamed that I was wandering around Kalamazoo and talked to a few of our friends. Well, then a few friends told my sister that they ran into me downtown. She let them know that I was. Uh, she let them know that I was home, and one friend said, "No, well, no, I, I just spoke to her." So I asked her. I said, "I said, wait a second. I said, wait a second, Karen." Are you saying that you were appearing in other people's dreams? I, I, I don't get what you're talking about here. She said, no. She was dreaming, but the people who saw her were awake. That's what's weird about it, she said. I, that's on another level. We're talking about bilocation there. Bilocation. She was appearing in day, this, this frequency of light to people, even though she was projecting from a dream. That's incredible. So I got, a little, I got, I need to get a little bit more on that one. Oh, the human mind, the human body, the human soul—very, very interesting stuff. Very interesting. Makes uh, it makes perfect sense why it's been suppressed for so long. Why we've been told to just uh, concentrate on, on the meaningless shit, like you know, the way that we define our genitals. Of course. So there's a lot more. There's a lot more to to, to dive into. It's a uh, it's it's lifetimes worth of stuff to dive into. To be honest, we're never going to run out of material. All right, so here is the um, here's what I wanted to bring up with you all. It is a part of our thread that we put up on quite frankly TV. And here is what the thread is set up, how it's set up. The night shift, paranormal, unexplained happenings on duty at night. Are you a security guard, a custodian? A police officer, paramedic, did you ever work the night shift and have had a paranormal experience that left you creeped out? We all want to hear about it. So here's the first one I'm going to throw out there. It's uh, This one is called Mischievous Tony. This is from a crude IT guy. It says, Frank, I work in a company building 
from the 1950s. When I first started here, I spent many late nights working overtime on the second of three floors. I have worked as late as 3 a.m. the next morning from an 8 a.m. start, praying for a computer server to start. Another story, but it finally did start. The regular shift is 8 to 5, and the custodians finish around 6.30 p.m., locking up when they leave. When everyone leaves and the custodians are out of the building, it's very, very quiet. My second-story office has huge windows that face out into the parking lot for the building. I typically notice when a car pulls in, especially on late winter nights that are in pitch black. So one winter night around 20-plus years ago when I was here until roughly 10 p.m., I was sitting quietly in my office working when the elevator dings. Who could that be this late? Fudge. This is why Lauren wasn't here tonight. So you want to you wanna co-host with me tonight? She goes, maybe. I said, just got to tell you, we're talking about some creepy stories from the night shift. She goes, no, I'm not going to be there. So... I get out of my chair and I leave my office toward the elevator about 40 feet away around the corner. On the way to the elevator, there is a similar. there are similar huge windows overlooking the parking lot. No car was out there. I was alone, right? I'm standing about 20 feet away when the elevator door opens. No one was on board. Honestly, at first I was relieved until I realized someone had to physically push the button inside the elevator to make it do that. For the next uh, few minutes, I looked all over the building and saw or heard no one. Uh, that's enough of that. I packed my stuff and I left, happy to be gone. So the next morning, I tell the story to my coworkers who had been there 20 years before I got there. They said, oh, that's Tony. Who's Tony, I replied. They said Tony was a janitor that had died in the basement over a weekend and was found the following Monday morning. He likes to do mischief sometimes. The senior female employee went on to tell me about a Saturday afternoon she came out to finish up some work in the building that day uh, in the day in the daytime she was at the office all by herself she knows everyone's work schedule she does the payroll no one else should have been there she was sitting in her office when she heard footsteps coming up the stairwell to the second floor the steps continued until they got all the way to the edge of her door and then they stopped she asked who is it there was no reply so after a few seconds, she jumps up to see who it is. She never heard another sound or footstep or never saw anyone. They vanished. Tony vanished. The only car in the parking lot was hers, and the office doors were all locked. Whatever she thought she needed to do wasn't worth all of this, so she quickly gathered her things and left immediately. Just Tony doing mischief. I would have gathered my things and went out the window. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even walked through the... <laughs> Jeez. So, do you have any mischievous Tony stories? Have you met Tony? Hope he's feeling better. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Here's another one. I'm just going to bounce around a little bit. The lines are open. Feel free to call in. Uh, Attitude at Altitude says, I work for a food manufacturer. And in one of my previous roles, they would uh, uh, it, it said I would have to work the night shift every six to eight weeks for a week at a time. At the time, I was a manager for our maintenance department, which meant I led a team of mechanics that would troubleshoot and repair any equipment issues that arose during the shift. Our packaging room usually ran fairly well with limited downtime and line stops. 
However, everything, every time I worked the night shift, there were catastrophic failures. Oftentimes, the team and I would uh, spend the entire shift trying to troubleshoot an electrical issue with no success, only to have it magically resolve itself around 6 a.m. when the day shift showed up. I don't know how else to describe the feeling I would have had around 6 a.m. when the day crew showed up, except to say that it felt like I had shifted realities. This was absurdly frustrating, especially not being able to explain the magical resolution after a night of downtime. Maybe it was the exhaustion, maybe it was the ghost of snacks past. Either way, I always felt it eerily unsettled, or unsettling by how oddly the equipment behaved at night. Well, hopefully you had company. All this stuff is better if you have company with you, I gotta say. There's a few of them over here now that are coming in from Sammy Said So. Sent a, a, a small collection of stories. I have a couple highlighted here. Uh, Sammy says, hey, everyone. So I have eight years of third shift stories under my belt, and there is absolutely something suspect going on. Paranormal, military, who knows? Um, feel free to pick and choose which parts of my experiences you want. So here you go. Started working in a nursing home in 2015, and sadly, yes, every year or so, at least one person dies there. So there's a life-death connection here. There are many cases of seeing shadows and hearing odd noises, but some were outright bizarre and scary experiences that cannot be ignored. To start with simpler experiences, there would be times where I'm sitting in a client's door, and electronic toys that were put away in large bins put away uh, in the day room and easy 50 feet away from everyone would start playing for no reason and we would have to go and hunt them down and cut them off. This continues to happen and is random. In other buildings uh, on the, the property at night there would be toys in the side room behind closed doors that if you stepped one foot into the main room those toys would activate as well. This only happened at night, never during the day. Damn toys. I'm telling you, there are some toys that were given to Aurora by our family and stuff like that where Lauren and I said, if I ever hear this thing in the middle of the night, I'm going to flip and we would take batteries out of shit uh, just so that that never happened, especially if it was going to wake her up because they, they, they do misfire sometimes just from being under the weight of other toys. At least that's what I would, I would hope is the reason. The freakiest experience with electronics is one night at the start of my shift, I went to a back room to get some clients' folders for the night, and two staff were already back there, just waiting for their rides to come pick them up. As soon as I took one step into the room, we heard a lion roar. A lion. I stopped dead in my tracks and go, what the fuck? And we all stared at each other for a good ten seconds before I slowly continued into the room, and we joked that a ghost was trying to speak to us, and I started trying to figure out what made the noise because it sounded electronic. I started digging around a storage bin filled with magazines and books near the back window next to where the co-workers were sitting for a good 15-20 feet from where I entered the room, and at the very bottom of the pile of books was an animal book. An animal book. Not just any, any animal book, but one where you open it up and you can put uh, in animal pegs inside of the animal cutouts and the pieces are supposed to activate the animal sound. And guess what? The lion's piece was missing. All but two or three animal pegs were missing. The rest presumed thrown away a long time ago. I even showed my coworkers the book and I even tried to activate the lion's roar with the remaining animal pegs, but nothing worked. I couldn't even get the book to activate the animal pegs that were still there with their own cutouts. So WTF, 
We didn't know what to say after that, and apparently it's never happened to anyone else before or after. Crazy. 914-595-6953. Please call in and keep me company. Because now I regret coming here at all. So. Night shifters. Come along now. Ladybird. Ladybird left me a little something. Ladybird said, during a night shift in a busy urban uh, emergency room, paramedics brought in a patient in full arrest. She was pregnant and scheduled for an induced uh, delivery of her full term. Normal pregnancy in just a few days. We worked this code blue longer than any other I've ever been involved in before or since. Sadly, both the patient and her baby perished. What makes the story fit for the theme of this thread is that uh, is that the state of the ER once we ceased our efforts to resuscitate her. The ER had no patience when we were all walked out of the treatment room. None. Again, something I never experienced before or since. Nearly two decades. Some of us had to go shower and get change of scrubs as we had gotten a little messy. Walking the hallways of that ER felt otherworldly. No patient monitors beeped or alarmed. No ventilators puffed and sighed. No telephones rang. No children cried. No specimens went to the lab through the pneumatic tube system. No one called out from the treatment room or for more supplies. No staff went briskly about their duties. It seemed as though time had utterly stopped. And if I walked outside, I would find the whole world completely frozen and empty of everyone except the team with whom I had just navigated this unspeakable tragedy. Upon returning to the ER from the shower, I found the same surreal empty ER. My job included preparing and transporting the patient's remains to the morgue. For a full hour after my return from the morgue, that ER remained empty and nearly silent, as though someone knew we needed time to process what had just happened and steal ourselves to receive the next patient fully engaged and ready to deliver whatever care that they needed. Once we had achieved that, the ER roared back to its typical noise, chaos, and stress. We flipped our automation switches to on, and we got back to work. Wow. Let's take a call. Uh, 219, you are on the air. Who's this? Hey, Frank. It's Q Magoo. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you on speakerphone right now? Damn it, Suzanne. Yes. Okay, so I I don't have any awesome I don't have any awesome stories about um, working late spookies that I could think of. It's okay. I was listening. I was listening and um, that movie that you were talking about where someone is under anesthesia and they're having heart surgery. Yeah, awake. Yeah, I can't say much about it, but I had to um, summarize the deposition. And the woman that was under anesthesia had the same thing happen to her, where they went to, it was a new kind of procedure where they were putting in wires anyway to make her heart work, and it failed. It was Christmas. She was redheaded, and I guess redheads have a, they don't um, take anesthesia as much as most people do. Are you serious? And so the anesthesia, well. That's a thing? That's what studies say, I think. But 
Yeah, it was wild. I was thinking about, you said that movie, I don't remember what it was, but I wanted to reach out and say, it was a crazy deposition to summarize because this woman, she was redheaded, she remembers, the whole surgery was because they didn't have to do open heart surgery and break her open, but that it didn't work and it failed, so they had to do that, and the anesthesia didn't work. They had to break her open. Christmas music is playing while she's on the table, and she's totally awake, but she cannot tell anybody. And she's feeling it everything. Was a crazy deposition. She's feeling, and she's feeling everything. Yes. How yes. how do you? So my, a, I, my thing is, how do you even how do you even survive that? From a from a a physical toll, the shock level. How do you even survive that? She did. Wow. I don't know. She's probably one of those booster people. But so, so you're talking about anyway, you're talking about. You, so when you say deposition, are you working? Uh, are you working for an insurance carrier or a law firm? What? No, I was in, yeah, in a law firm, okay. and I I've gotten out of it by this time. But it, yeah, it was wild. We were. Um, the place I was working for was defending the hospital where this guy worked. Anyway, anyway, yeah, go on with your crazy stories. That's cool. Uh, wait, I hey, listen, that's that's as crazy. That's that's just as crazy as anything I can think of. I mean, that is um, talk about sleep paralysis. I, I heard the movie. What was the movie called? I don't remember. The movie is called Awake. I'm pretty sure it's with it's with with uh, Hayden. Awake. Yeah, it's with Hayden Christensen and Jessica Alba. It's, yeah. it's one of those movies you only want to watch once because then you, I mean you, you don't want you don't ever want to go in to get your toenails clipped by anybody ever again, but um, geez, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wild, it, yeah. Truth is uh, more phenomenal than life, right? That's, yeah, you're anyway, telling me. No, have a good night. I appreciate you. Love Thank you, you so the much. Family, God bless you. Same to Bye. you. Same to you. That was a great Ooh. call. That's what I want to hear. Uh, Sentinel, Sentinel from the Theta chat room. What's going on, Sentinel? Hey, uh, great show tonight. I uh, love the ideas of what we're doing. Um, well, I've never worked third shift. I've worked first and second shift. Uh, I had a strange experience when Molly Artie uh, went into labor. Uh, what had happened was um, we were we, her parents had. Wait, wait, you said from, you said wait, wait. Oh, bump with Molly Artie. Molly Artie. Okay, you said when she was in labor. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So what happened was uh, her parents had come to visit uh, after they'd been snowboarding for like four years, and uh, she was like eight months pregnant. And uh, she uh, grabbed some peanut butter and put it on an apple, and uh, she made some comment. And then, you know, I was trying to be cute, and I said something like, well, I'll just look it off your face. And so she laughed. She laughed so hard that her water broke high on the right side. So baby was coming all of a sudden because she had this happen. It was like, you know, noon. And uh, so the, we brought her into the hospital, and uh, the doctor put her on Pitocin to make her uh, contract. And uh, she was on Pitocin for 80 hours. So, so now all of a sudden it's like, you know, 830 9.30 at night, I've been sitting there, you know, holding her hand, doing all the freaking uh, Lamaze shit, 
And, uh, you know, I kept every hour going downstairs, having a smoke, come back up, hold her hand, talk and shit. And then uh, they came in and uh, gave her uh, whatever that is, a spinal tap thing. You know what the spinal tap thing is? Are you talking about the, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the, oh my gosh. Epidural. Epidural, yes. Yes, they put it right into yeah, your spine. Yeah, they gave it an epidural. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, she gave it an epidural, and they took her off to Petrosin. And so the, uh, uh, the guy who does the epidural pulled her off to Petrosin to give her an epidural. Well, then they're like, the gynecologist was like pissed because he didn't order to take her off to Petrosin, and they were like fighting over that shit. So now all of a sudden it's midnight. Well, the boy was born at like, you know, like 1 a.m. And I named him. It was all good. Sentinel, I'm, I'm yeah, losing. I'm, uh, hold on, Sentinel. I, I don't want to. I don't want to miss anything of this. Uh, of this. This talk here, but you're getting kind of muffly. Are you eating the phone? No, I'm not trying. There you to go. The there you go. There you go. It's probably digging into your cheek. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, you know, one o'clock. The kid's born. I'm like, we're good, and I go home. And so uh, the next day, I come back. I'm all happy. Uh, you went home. Lady, you went home. Yeah. Jeez, man. Yeah, I did. I slept. I slept. I, I slept on the hard, tiled floor behind a uh, behind a. Uh, I forgot what it was. I was on this, this this recliner that was just destroying my back. So I said, you know what? I'm going on the hard tiled floor. I was sleeping behind a a waste bin like a rat the whole night. I didn't leave. Then again, I couldn't leave. It was it was COVID protocols. So, like, two years later, I get yelled at because I went home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm I needed to rest in my bed. And she slept in the hospital all alone for six hours uh, because afterwards. So, it was like, <laughs> so good for you, Frank. Dude, you, 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 cannot, you, cannot, you cannot leave. I, I cannot believe you left the hospital. You cannot do that. Hey, the baby was born. <laughs> oh, was, her mama wasn't there. Oh, my what God. What the fuck? I can't I believe... Uh, the fact that you're still unapologetic about it, I am surprised that you're not out of the doghouse yet. I'm surprised you hey, are out of the doghouse. He's 30 now. <laughs> wow, wait. Well, I'm listen. I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the that the, your your boy showed up. Everything was all right. I'm glad that Molly already is okay and everything is uh, this is a, a very very nice call. It, was there something weird about this that you wanted to talk about? No, it's just weird. That, you know, it's weird for a dude who didn't think that this was going to be something that was like a hard problem. Okay. And then like it was thrown in my face like you know like four years later. Got you, got you. Well, thank you for the call. I thought that you were going. Th thank you for the call, Sentinel. I thought he was going to say, "Well, you know, one of the nurses attending to us, she came in and she's helping out my wife and all that, and she really helped us in in a time of uh, of great need." And then we we asked the doctor about that nurse a couple of hours later, and they're like, "No one by that name works here." I thought we were going to get something weird. No, we just got something that um, I I would still Lauren would still be upset with me. I made little jokes when Lauren was in, in labor. You know, uh, it was probably around, she was already about seven hours into it. And, uh, and we heard over the hospital intercom that visitors had, to, we had, they had 10 minutes before they had to go. So I put my hands on, on, on uh, Lauren's knees and I said, all right, um, I got to go. I'll be back uh, tomorrow. You let me know if you want me to bring anything. And she, 
I, I got. I think I got a smile out of her. And uh, but she, you know, she she didn't appreciate it too much. And then when she was really, really starting to, I mean, because she wanted to go. Oh man, she she really had 13 hours. She said she didn't want anything. She really wanted to make it through. And then the doctors told we're we're screwing with us. They uh, they told Lauren that she was like eight eight what is it eight centimeters? I don't want to I don't want to say like something ridiculous. You're eight meters dilated, lady. You know when they say like around eight. You can start pushing or something like that. We thought we were or ten. We were really close. One one doctor told us, so she said, "Okay, I can do this." Then a nurse came in and uh, and and examined Lauren. They're like, "Oh, she are about five or six. She went, "What?" That's when she said, "Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna have any 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 strength to push. Give me the epidural." She felt really defeated about that. I said, "Don't. It's okay. It's all right, honey. Don't worry." So, um, but I did not leave. I slept behind the garbage can like a rat. I did not leave. So that's all I have for you on that one. Let's take a call. Uh, 806, you're on the air. Who's this? Good evening, Frank. This is Dwayne. Dwayne, welcome to the show. You know me from emails, Gilded, and all kinds of stuff. Well, welcome. Dwayne from Texas. Well, yeah, Dwayne, I know Dwayne. I, I can see Dwayne and Gilded in my head. Yes, there you are. Welcome to the show, sir. That's me. So the the Texas Ten Commandments thing. Have you talked about that tonight? The Texas Ten Commandments. I'm, 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 I'm a little behind. No, no, no. We're not. We're we're talking about uh, creepy stories from the night shift. Uh, creepy stories that people have ex- experienced during the night shift at uh, work. Have you been watching? Well, I have. Oh, okay. I'm, so then I'm, you... I'm, I'm behind. All right. Well, it, we're talking about creepy stories from the night shift. Anybody that, that worked the overnight, something like that. But if you have uh, something off topic, if you can put it together in a nice little nutshell for us so we don't get too off track, go right ahead. Creepy stories from the night shift. At our current office building, we run dispatch. Uh, we drive fuel trucks all over the place. The building is actually the old athletic building where they handed out athletic gear for the kid thing. Mm-hmm. And when I go in there at night, because, you know, I'm the IT guy, there's always creepy noises. We're right by the railroad, so could be some of that. But there's always something going by it's little it's small it, it, you know what it's always it, weird at that time of night Dwayne that's that's all it, that's all it takes sometimes little and small little and small is all it takes um, uh, so as far as the whole Texas thing if it's a topic you want to suggest for the show maybe in the upcoming week because we don't have a lot of a lot of guests that are planned for the rest of uh, April uh, I, I'm, I'm open to anything. Why don't you send me some email, quite frankly, podcast at gmail.com. I'll take a look at it. Okay, I can do that. Thank you so much, sir. And please call in again. It's good to hear, to have a voice put to the screen name. Ah, uh, you got a face, too. Yes, yeah, well, the face, faces are all <laughs> over. <laughs> all right, buddy. I know it's ugly. <laughs> hey, it's all, I, I don't got no faces over here. I don't see anything. I, I, I'm envisioning a, a stra- <laughs> I'm envisioning a strapping young man from uh, from Texas calling in and and, uh, and uh, shooting the shit on a Saturday night. Thank you for the call, sir. 
You're welcome. All right, take night. take care. Let's go. Let's go to uh, Elizabeth SoCal. I know this will be good because Elizabeth has been a longtime nurse, and she never, never, ever disappoints when she calls in. What's going on, Elizabeth? Oh Lord, I have a couple good stories for you. Okay. Okay. On the same lines of late at night, creepy at the hospital, and in uh, giving birth. I was giving birth uh, to my last daughter, and it was a high-risk pregnancy, and I had been in labor for two days on Pitocin, and if you're familiar with Pitocin, uh, you know, it's a, a drug to make you have contractions, but after a while, it gets to be extremely exhausting, and I was having what was called double peak contractions, which means you don't get a break. As soon as you uh, start having your contraction, it doesn't come down all the way, and you just stay up in that high contraction rate. Jeez. So I was becoming, yeah, so I was becoming completely physically exhausted, and I literally thought I was going to lose my life. And the doctor told me, hey, um, they had me hooked up, you know, to the baby monitor, and I could hear the baby's heartbeat, and, and it started going boom, 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 you know, down real low. And the doctors and the nurses just both looked at me and they just, you know, just yelled, push, push. And I thought, I know what this means. It's my baby's dying. I've got to push. And I didn't think I had the strength. But I pushed and all of a sudden the pain was gone. There was no sound. Everything became light. I felt really great. I thought, wow, is the baby out? The baby wasn't out yet. I had left my body, I kid you not. I was floating above the bed. I was looking down and I was watching them work, you know, down there on me and the baby. And I thought, whoa, this is creepy. And uh, I just kind of like was watching, very interested. And then all of a sudden there was like a whoosh. And then I was back in my body and the pain returned. And then right then, I, you know, heard the baby cry and the whole little thing was going on. And I thought, man, that's trippy. So anyways, I, I yeah. left my body. Yeah, I left my body. That was creepy. And then um, surgeries, waking up during surgeries, my dad woke up during open heart surgery. And um, he Told, he told the doctor about it uh, the next day when the doctor came around and he did rounds uh, because he was asking the doctor, he says, why were you guys eating peanuts during surgery? And the doctor said, what do you mean eating peanuts during surgery? He says, yeah, you kept asking the nurse to pass the peanuts, pass you the peanuts. And he goes, you heard that? And he said, well, yeah. He says, peanuts aren't food. Peanuts is the name of an instrument. So, wow. yeah, you wake up during surgery sometimes. But but, 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 but with him, but with, with, with your father, as opposed to the other the other situations where um, uh-huh. anesthesia did not keep a person out, or at least not fully, did he, was he still uh, numb to what they were doing to him? Or uh, it's one thing to just have your eyes open, be a little bit groggy, but be totally numb from, you know, the, the whole body. Did he feel this stuff happening to him? Uh, yeah, he did feel it, but he said it wasn't uh, an extreme pain. It was okay. more like, you know, when you're kind of numb from okay. Novocaine, but he could, like, feel being moved around and worked on, and he heard everything very crystal clear. Wow. That is... Yeah. Wow. And, and how old was he at that time? 
Uh, I would say early 50s. That is an experience. I don't know, man. That is, that's just, that's incredibly weird. It really is. But your out-of-body experience right at that time where, uh, it's like you said, you didn't know if you had any of the strength to, to do this, and suddenly you're displaced, and you come back, almost like you, right. you're given a reprieve, and you came back right at the time when it was, uh, it was, it was just about time to cross the finish line with your, with your child. That's, that's something else there too, and that's only you and Pitocin. They don't, obviously they're not drugging you up. There's nothing else. There's nothing that would, act, nothing you as a right. experienced nurse could surmise put you into this altered state. Exactly, because I, I took no medication. That was the only thing that they were giving me was the Pitocin. So I was totally alert the whole time. Wow. And feeling everything, absolutely everything. Yeah. So uh, before we Very go, hard. before we go, because those are two stellar, stellar conversations. What about, and you've called in about uh, a few other things, um, you know, the Lazarus syndrome and all that stuff. But what, mm-hmm. what uh, can you give it? Do you have, is there anything else that comes to mind uh, where you're nearly, it's a skeleton crew at the, at the hospital that night. And there's just something that made you look over your shoulder for the rest of the shift. Well, actually, I've had a lot of those kind of experiences because I've seen a lot of death over the years. And um, the stuff that usually would always give me goosebumps is when the patients would start talking to their dead relatives, you know, and they would point them out and different things. And, yeah, those were the creepiest ones for me. Okay. um, Wow. Like at any point over the years, did that ever get any less creepy? Did it ever get become a little bit more comforting to you, or was it something that you just never got over? I never got over it. Okay. No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know how I would feel uh, either, um, from what little I have seen. <laughs> but uh, I always yeah. appreciate your call, Elizabeth. Thank you for this. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good evening. You too. You too. Thank Have a great you. one. Have a great one. There is Elizabeth. Okay, so listen, it's 10.37. We've got about 20 minutes left. I want to take another really quick break. When we come back, we're just giving you guys and gals some time to collect your thoughts. Take your calls, 914-595-6953. What is this? I think it's a little bit, just a tiny bit of a longer break. Anyway. Anyway, a lot of fun. We'll be right back. The elite are all about transcendence and living forever and the secrets of the universe, and they want to know all this. Some are good, some are bad, some are a mix. But the good ones don't ever want to organize. The bad ones don't want to organize because they lust after power. Powerful uh, consciousnesses don't want to dominate other people. They want to empower them so they don't tend to get together until things are really late in the game. Then they come together and evil's always defeated because good is so much stronger. And we're on this planet, and Einstein's physics showed it, Max Planck's physics showed it, all of there's at least 12 dimensions. And now that's why all the top scientists and billionaires are coming out saying, it's a false hologram, it is artificial. The computers are scanning it and finding tension points where it's artificially projected and gravity's bleeding in to this universe. That's what they call dark matter. So we're like a thought or a dream that's a wisp in some computer program, some God's mind, whatever. They're proving it all. It's all coming out. Now, there's like this sub-transmission zone below the third dimension that's just turned over the most horrible things is what it resonates to. And it's trying to get up into the third dimension that's just a basic level consciousness to launch into the next levels. 
And our species is already way up in the fifth, sixth dimension, consciously, our best people. But there's this big war trying to, like, basically destroy humanity because humanity has free will, and there's a decision to which level we want to go to. We have free will, so evil's allowed to come and contend, and not just good. And the elites themselves believe they're racing using human technology to try to take our best minds and build some type of breakaway civilization where they're going to merge with machines, transcend, and break away from the failed species of this man, which is kind of like a false transmission because they're thinking what they are is ugly and bad, projecting it onto themselves instead of believing, no, it's a human test about building us up. And so Google was set up 18, 19 years ago. This was, I knew about this before it was declassified. I'm just saying I have good sources. That they wanted to build a giant artificial system. And Google believes that the first artificial intelligence will be a supercomputer based on the neuron activities of the hive mind of humanity with billions of people wired into it with the internet of things and so all of our thoughts go into it and we're actually building a computer that has real neurons in real time that's also psychically connected to us that are organic creatures so that they will have current prediction powers future prediction powers a true crystal bulb but the big secret is, once you have a crystal ball and know the future, you can add stimuli beforehand and make decisions that control the future. And so then it's the end of consciousness and free will for individuals, as we know, and a true 2.0 in a very bad way, hive mind consciousness with an AI jacked into everyone, knowing our hopes and dreams, delivering it to us, not in some PKD wirehead system where we plug in and give up on consciousness because of unlimited pleasure, but because we were already wired in and absorbed before we we knew it by giving over our consciousness to the system by our daily decisions that it was able to manipulate and control into a larger system. There's now a human counter-strike taking place to shut this off before it gets fully into place and to block these systems and to try to have an actual debate about where humanity goes and cut off the pedophiles and psychic vampires that are in control of this AI system before humanity is destroyed. Wait a minute. Humanity the is only control of AI? How they get how the pedophiles get in control of well, AI? The, the pedophiles get a, get a whatever level the devil whatever you want to call it, this interdimensional thing that gives them advanced off-world technology the fallen one that's not of this world is giving them advanced knowledge what, what are you talking about these systems what is that, that have already been used before on other populations what that's satan but what are you what are that's you talking satan. about that's satan but explain that you just you're well, saying satan something becomes insane. something that the, you know the stupid preacher tells you about who's totally controlled or something you read about on you know in the news or tv right but this is an interdimensional force that wants to influence us to build something that absorbs us and kills us rather than the divine uh, uh, free will we're given to build something much better that empowers the, the species. So the species is now making a decision where you about its entire from? future. Where are you getting this from? from? That's what it is. But where are you getting it from? I know, from, the, from looking at all the data, researching it, studying it, watching the enemy. That's the big decision that humanity has now got before us. Right. 
just in case you needed some gay tonight, I brought some Enya along for the ride. Don't worry, it's Saturday night. Everybody's gay on a Saturday. <laughs> I've got nobody to play off of here. Now it just seems it just seems sad, doesn't it? It just seems sad. It just seems like a guy in his thoughts, huh? All right, let's go. 914-595 6953 9145956953 Uh Jerry Coogan's getting through from Scotland. Wow. Jerry, what's going on? Well, may I be the first person to wish you all a very happy Sunday? Happy Sunday it's to you. Uh, yeah, quarter to four here in the morning. You are um, a, you are a warrior, my friend. Thank you for hanging out with us. <laughs> hey. You know, us Theta warriors, we've got to stick together. If the rest of the gang is going to be here, then who am I to get some well-earned sleep? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was fascinated listening to the story, the, the childbirth story, because I had never heard of sympathy pains or afterbirth pains until my wife had her first child. And in the couple of days that followed, I kept being disturbed by this strange pain. Uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it my stomach. Somewhere in my abdomen. And I thought, this is really annoying me, this this pain. And when I went to see my wife in the uh, the hatchery, <laughs> the maternity ward, um, and how are you doing, pet? And she said, I'm not too bad, but oh, the afterbirth pains are this, that, and the thing. You know what it's like? Guys just get on with what they're doing and women deal with what they're dealing with. We're not necessarily as informed as, as women often think they are. So this was new to me that there was a thing called afterbirth pains. And I said, oh, what are these pains? Where are they? And she pointed to a part of her stomach or her abdomen. And I thought, oh, that's where I'm getting this strange pain that I've never, ever, ever had before. Uh, yeah, Jerry, so, Jerry are, are you saying, are you saying you're coming, are you choosing tonight as coming out as trans? No, but I'm thinking to myself, how very odd that uh, I should have afterbirth pains in my uterus as everything's settling in again. And then I suddenly realized that this would explain why I'd had no periods during the entire period, the entire duration of the, the pregnancy. In fact, I've never had a period since or before, but that's not the point because obviously something was on there. But I did find that very, very interesting that there is this thing that's definitely a thing because I've, I've experienced it myself where if you're very connected to somebody, I don't know, did you have that at all after Aurora was born? Uh, are you did talking you about physical, physical pains? Yeah. No, nah, I mean no. Uh, I mean I'm always very sympathetic to Lauren whenever she's feeling one thing or another. So I, I'm 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 a sympathetic person. So I, as far as um, as far as feeling pains that we are almost psychically sharing, like it's E.T. and Elliot. I uh, n yeah. th that did not happen. I had a whole bunch of other pains that were coming along when when Aurora showed up. I mean nobody tells you that even though this baby is only eight pounds after a week of holding her. Uh, your elbows are going to want to fall off, and yeah. I mean your your back is you, you don't realize how much the uh, how much the, the you know the, the rounding of your back screws up your neck. So I had to do a lot of uh, I had to do a lot of uh, physical therapy to myself to to shore up all the 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 um, I don't know 
the imbalances I had, but nothing like that. It was weird because I've got five children, and uh, Mary was the first. And uh, I, I, when the next one came along, Rhoda, I thought, oh, right, I wonder if I'm going to have after birth pains this time. And no, that didn't happen. It only happened that first time. And well, well, you know what? I don't know if that's I, because. I, I don't, I don't, dis, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I, I believe you, number one. And, and for you saying you having five children and that happening on the first, I don't know, there's something that is just so uh, paradigm shifting about, about uh, bring, uh, be, just becoming the parent that uh, I wouldn't be surprised that the whole bunch of almost supernatural things happen that, uh, that it, it, and it's just because of how your, your, your mind's exploding, your heart's exploding, everything is just, is just shifting. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't doubt it at all that you felt something. I personally didn't. Yeah, the curious thing for me was that I, I, I often thought to myself, well, now that I know that this is a thing, is that going to influence the way I react to the next thing? Because when it comes at you out of the blue, you've no idea that you're going to feel sympathetic pains for a condition that you didn't even know existed after birth pains. Uh, and it just gets you, you know? And in some sense, perhaps you're psychologically at some subliminal level prepared to filter that out when it happens a second time because, you you know, you want to avoid having a sore abdomen. <laughs> oh, of course. Because guys are like guys. Guys are, you know, we're, we're only really interested in ourselves. Um, although we'll, we'll pat people on the head if it helps us all to get along. Yeah. But I, I just found that a very, very interesting phenomenon, this sympathy pain. Uh for a condition that I had no idea. I've never had a pain in that part of my abdomen before or since. It was just I had a sore uterus. That's, so, and I, I'm I'm happy that you got through it, uh, Jerry, and I'm happy that uh, that everything has worked out and that your transition has <laughs> your transition is complete. You went you you walked through you I, passed passed through the threshold. I'm back to normal now. I'm, I'm definitely just completely. Good. You know, maybe maybe Bud Light will put you on their can next month. No, 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 no. You wouldn't Nobody want that. Should ever drink beer if it can find a bottle of scotch. You know, I, I don't even know why I even said that to you. I, I'm talking to a I'm talking to a guy who was born and raised in Scotland and calls in from Scotland. What what a, a slap in the face Bud Light must be. Yeah, any beer, but, uh, particularly Bud Light. There is an excuse for drinking a red wine when you're having a good steak in the restaurant. Yeah, that's excusable. But well, as soon as you go home and it's time to go to bed, then you have a nightcap, and you don't have a Bud Light or any other beer when you're relaxing after you've done your de- your day's work. You have a wee dram, or you just go straight to bed. Well, one day, one day, Jerry, we'll be able to, uh, we'll, we'll cross paths and we'll, uh, we'll cook ourselves some steak and we will have a drink. I am, uh, I, I'm what down for that. Concept. Oh, yes. No, I, if, if we, if we can have some sort of a meetup, I'll have a European meetup one day. We'll do something over here in the U.S. and I will be at the grill and I will be, I will be, uh, cooking either me or I'll get my buddy Sal, Sal, the, the barbell butcher. He'll be cooking the steaks, steaks all day. We'll make sure that we'll pay him well. He'll bring the steaks from his his uh, his shop, and man, oh man, does he cook it to perfection! So that'll that'll be a wonderful day, Jerry. Indeed. Thank you for the call tonight. 
I hope that happens one day. God bless you. God bless everybody that's listening at this late hour. And everybody have a great rest of the weekend. Catch you all on Monday. I'll catch you on Monday. It's not too far away. And he's already halfway there. It's it's uh, Sunday. He's well into Sunday over there in Scotland. So it's going to be Monday before he knows it. Before we all know it. Boy, that's nice. I saw somebody in the chat room before because Jessica Alba came up with that uh, Hayden Christensen movie. Somebody said that Jessica Alba... Uh, uh, made me not gay. Yes. You know, when Chat Roulette came out in, I don't know, 2009, 10, Chat Roulette came out. And uh, it was, that was, it was such a thing where everybody's, whoa, have you been on Chat Roulette yet? You just don't know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get on Chat Roulette back in the day. I don't know if it's still around. But it was so incredible a concept because, of course, you know, this whole idea of life casting, everybody had webcams, everybody had, you know, we were able to work with our broadband connections in such a way that these, um, these, these, these concepts of logging in to a website and just randomly just hit the button and you were randomly connected with anybody from all over the world. Any kind of, any kind of man, woman any kind of uh, you know gimmick, people were doing live concerts with chat roulette where somebody would be on you know concert. Somebody would show up on a teletron, a teletron screen some, somewhere that's just in their bedroom, and they're thinking that they're going to, to link up with some you know someone from the other side of the earth and have a quick exchange and, and then move on to somebody else. Suddenly you find yourself staring at a stadium full of people who are singing a song to you. It was really incredible, but at the same time, it was kind of chaotic, and a lot of celebrities jumped in there. I shit you not, because after a while, it, it, the people would put up you know, re- pre-recorded things from celebrities and scams, and this was all real, and we got linked up, me, Anthony, I think it was Matt, it was our buddy, no, Matt might not have been around yet, our buddy Gypsy, it was the first night that we were hanging out with our buddy Gypsy, our friend Jay, Mike, we were all around at the first studio. And we got linked up with Jessica Alba. I swear to God. I swear it happened. Well, I swear it happened. Because at first we're like, oh, shit, she's hot. Then we was like, wait a second. J- Jessica Alba. And, and, and she, she, she kind of like nodded in, in, uh, in, in uh, affirmation or uh, just saying, yes, it's me. And, um, and then we were, we were like, we're trying to like, you know, get her to stay and talk to us. But then she, she clicked out. So that was weird, but it, it happened. I swear to you, it happened. So please believe me. If you don't, then what are we doing here? All right, let's take another call. No, two, five, six, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, this is Blake from Alabama. Blake, what's going on? Hi, Frank. Good to talk to you again. Great to have you. I know you're probably, I know you're probably going to make fun of my voice because I'm from Alabama and sound like I've got the... To kill a mockingbird accent. Why would anyway, I, be, I would never make fun of your voice? No way. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was in a stage play in Gunnersville, Alabama. It was an hour drive back to my house. And one night when driving home, it was a four-lane highway, and I was in the right lane. And I saw something up ahead, and I slowed down. And it was it was in the median and it was crouched down, but it still looked like man size, and it stood up, 
And when it stood up, it was taller than me, and it flung out its left appendage, and it looked like a wing. And I was slowed down to about 35 or 40 at the time. So I actually saw what I saw. Then I went another two or three miles down the road before I even thought about it. Well, so so when you're, when you're talking about this, um, uh, you, you're saying that the... It had a wing. You saw a solitary wing, so you didn't see a, a pair. There was no like the defined wingspan or anything like that, and there was no flight or anything like that. Did no, it sir. It just stood up, and as it stood up, it flung out like its left appendage, and it looked like a wing. It looked exactly like a wing, and it, and it was in the shape of a man, at least six foot tall. My gosh. So I'm I, I'm a little over six foot tall. And I, I just knew whatever it was was about my height or better. And I just kept on going. And, and re- then I, repeat again, this was on the side of the road? Yes, sir. It was on the left side of the road. It was it was in the median. There was like two lanes. It was on 431 going from Gunnersville to uh, Gadsden. And uh, there's two lanes going one way and two lanes going the other. And there's a big median in the middle. And uh, I saw it in the median. But it was on on the very side of the median, like on the it would have been on the edge of the left lane. Wow, yeah. And and, and how how this, many years ago was this again? This was in twenty nineteen. Twenty. Okay, so this is pretty recent then. And you yeah, were. And it's you were, funny. I told I told my dad about it a couple of days later because uh, he's into kind of stuff like that. And he said, "Why didn't you go back and see what it was?" And I said, "Daddy." But don't you realize that's how people get killed? Now, now over the like last night when me and Matt and Shane were talking a little bit about cryptids and stuff like that, we have local every every region in this country and around the world has their legends and folklore and cryptids that uh, that, that 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 pop up around there. Do you have anything in your area of Alabama that that would that match that description? Something like a Mothman or a, a Jersey Devil? No, sir, not that I know of. Hmm. Well, but yeah. I've heard about those things. That's why it kind of cre- it really creeped me out. And I was by myself driving, and when I saw that, I was like, "Wow, Jesus Christ! I ain't gonna even think about that till I get miles down the road." Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that that's something I I would not have gone and investigated myself. But uh, Blake, thank you for that call. I mean, that's that's, that's and now that was coming back from work. That was after a party. Uh, why were you out on that road at that night? At that time of night, just just had to go out and grab stuff from the from the store. Or what? No, sir. I'm a stage actor, and uh, I had a part in Gunnerville, Alabama. And after rehearsal that night, it was it was a little after eleven. I was driving back home. Gotcha. Rehearsal. All right. Well, I'm going to consider that the night yeah, shift. Yeah, so I wasn't on. It wasn't no drinking or no drugs or nothing like that. I was just driving back home and wasn't even thinking about anything like that, and just happened to come up on it. I appreciate the I call, you Blake. Might find that interesting. Oh, I do. I do. I, I love. I love stuff like that, and I'm glad that you, uh, you you're here telling telling us about it now. You didn't go uh, investigate. Who knows? Who knows what would happen? But thank you for the call, Blake. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Oh, but I should have said we had Blake. Uh, we we heard Blake's uh, call into C-SPAN the other night. Good morning. My question is, since we're we, we're spending all this money, where are we getting the money from? And my second question is, if I can shit in your mouth. I apologize for that. Oh my God, Blake! 
Didn't even put two and two together, but uh, Blake is obviously a wild man, so wild. Just wild. All right, now apparently uh, we have power that has gone out, has gone out around the area, and um, it's uh, 10.59, so I'm going to wrap up here. We did an hour and a half together. I think it was a very, very smooth hour and a half. I uh, I love hanging out with you guys, especially on a Saturday night. I hope that we gave you enough to uh, to feel to feel good with. There's a, tons of calls coming in right now. I I can probably go until about midnight and beyond. But uh, for now, I just want to be able to wrap up, put a nice rubber stamp on this week officially, and get on home to see what condition everybody is in. So I'm just going to go through all my super chats right now. The first one up on Foxhole is quite Stevely. Says Frank Stella Artois is owned by Anheuser Busch. Well, every once in a while I have a Stella, that's for sure. But um, I will, uh, if I have to go and uh, and buy some stuff for an upcoming barbecue, I'll keep that in mind. Mister Pete says, "Hey Frank, cheers. What's going on, Pete?" Robert Sarns dropped a whole sleeve of cookies on us over there on Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv. Ohio Patriot says, "Good for you, Frank." Well, thank you. Why? What did I do? I'm forgetting the beginning of the show, so I don't know what what that's for. But thank you so much. And Youper Viking says, "Can someone attach itself?" Can something attach itself to your soul during an out-of-body experience? Great letter, Mom. Hey, send that to me in an email so I can put that aside in my show notes for a future talk with Dr. Albert Taylor because we have a lot of technical stuff to do, a lot of technical stuff to do, and um, with him, questions to ask, and, and we'll get into that. I know a lot of you have gone over to his YouTube account and have found, um, have found a, a lot of cool stuff to now stay in touch with. I'm glad that he's on back on the horse and, and creating content. He's a really interesting guy and very nice too. Thank you on quite frankly, pod, uh, quite frankly, superchat.com. By the way, I'm going to be giving away the, the brave new world book on Monday. I wrote myself the note. I told Lauren about it. We got to do that. We have a couple other things to do. So I'll count all these as well. Palador Veros. Thank you for your wonderful. Oh, I can hear it really raining now. Thank you for your wonderful tip over here. Revolution says, hello, Lord Francis. Happy Saturday. Just wanted to say superb week of shows and guests. I'm out here always lurking, but still syndicating the show for you, even if I'm not super chatting nightly. Peace out, Rev. Oh, I appreciate you, sir. I really, really do. Where else do I have to go? Over on Rumble. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Jadick says, have a happy Saturday, Frank and Franklies. Tremendous. No other Rumble rants, but over on Rockfin, there is a tip from Heather N. Heather says, strange story, not work, but wedding night. My husband and I are trying to get sleep, shut off the lights, and we both hear what sounded like a cellophane, like cellophane was being walked on by human feet. Sounded like whatever was walking on the cellophane was walking toward the bed. Turn on the lights, nothing was there. Turn off the lights again, and the sound returned louder. We packed our bags and left. Where were you? Was that home? Or were you in like the hotel or something? I, that sucks. Well, I'm about to about to go out and, and hopefully the power comes back on sometime tonight. If not, it'll be a very dark, boring evening. Anywho, you guys have been wonderful company for me and I'm looking forward to Monday. We're going to have Rich Barris come back on the show on Monday night. Tuesday night, I have a couple of really awesome guests. 
uh, that are going to be stopping in for uh, combined short segments. And then the rest of the week should be pretty chill. Should be pretty chill. I have a lot of really great topics and threads to go through, things to open up the discussion with the audience and bring you all in for the ride again. But um, as always, I am just, uh, I'm very happy that you have been here with me and, and we'll do it again. We'll do it again before you know it. Nighty night. Oh, what's that? There you go. I'll catch you on the flip side. Threads to go through. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatters. Starting with Palador Veros. Revolution. Our wonderful friend over there on the Rumble Rants. Huge Dick. Huge Dick. And thank you, Heather N. And all of our wonderful super chatters, our gold pillars on QuiteFrankly.tv. Uh, tune in tomorrow night on QuiteFrankly.tv for all the wonderful content that I'm going to curate for the Sunday night programming. And become a sponsor so you can be part of the Sunday afternoon stream that usually starts around 1 p.m. these days. Doesn't matter what level you're in, go to QuiteFrankly.tv and go to the sponsor section. I'd love to have you as my boss for the new week. Take care. <laughs>